Hey, y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Tim Preston, as always. You guys listen to the Hornscast channel and the Budos band bringing us in. Today, we are going to be talking about the West Virginia and Kansas State games. Texas starts off the conference play a nice 2-0. And, oh, and talk about a macro to micro look and what we think the two conferences mean, how much we should put into them as we head into the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State games and what to expect from them and how important those are. I'd like to start off the show, though, with a special shout-out. A very special shout-out to the Gambling Gauchos podcast. We really, really appreciate y'all waking up Marcus Carr. If it wasn't for y'all starting the transfer rumor out of thin air, Marcus Carr wouldn't have woken up in average 19.5 points a game. And, and for that, we are greatly indebted to you guys at Texas Basketball Fans. Could y'all maybe start uh, a rumor that Devin Askew cannot shoot threes and is uh, considering transferring his shot to somewhere else, maybe with a, a snake emoji somewhere in there and a below-average Photoshop attached? That'd be great. Uh, y'all the real MVP. Yeah. I'd also like another rumor. You know... Well, I'm getting married. I probably shouldn't say that. Like, Will can't get a girl. Like, he's transferring his 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 talents to the gay community. Like, <laughs> Denise Richards wants nothing to do with Tim Preston. That's the rumor. Nothing at all to do with him. Johnny, I don't know. I'm pretty happy in my relationship. So, <sighs> I know you guys have problems, but uh, so apparently, uh, Johnny's lady listens to the podcast. Hello, Johnny's lady. <laughs> she definitely does not listen. To me well then, at, what is you fucking talking about? Then, in time. What is this garbage? Like then, be, say say your be, your piece. Um, yeah, no, that is that is that is my piece. She doesn't listen to me at all, so I could just say whatever. It's great. It's part of what uh, makes what the it, relationship make us look like assholes. I mean, you know, shoe fits. Like, look, I'm the asshole on the podcast. Y'all are the assholes off the podcast. That's how this works. Okay. Erroneous. All Erroneous. Right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Anyways. I'm gonna take that gay bit out because that was that was a little much. But <laughs> how dare you? Because I don't want to. I don't want to just act like it's disparaging. Because me, I, me, you know, me. You're fine. I understand. offering my my talent to the gay community. That that's really just enough of a. Yeah, they, they got a really they got just, it bad enough. Like they don't need you <laughs> heading over there. It you know yeah they they're discriminated enough and they they really just don't need me to to add to their problems. So. I think any first we have the Texas legislature and now Will wants to suck dick. This is terrible. I can't. Uh, <laughs> if you start pulling down uh, the pants of referees in Tennessee at high school basketball games, we're going to know that there's something weird going on, Will. I, okay, that's a reference I don't understand, but we'll get to You know what? I'll just you tell me off podcast, I'll I'll get it, all right? But let's go ahead and and get to the actual the actual content of the podcast here. Texas basketball, right, guys? This is now uh, pulling the pants down on Tennessee high school basketball refs podcasts. So sorry to our loyal <laughs> listeners, but the remainder of these podcasts will concern simply with pulling the pants down on high school refs. Pretend we're straight. Yeah. We've, we've, we've felt like our niche was not small enough. And so <laughs> yeah. we're now going with specifically Tennessee legislators who pull the pants down on referees. That's that is it. We might might have to skip a few weeks here and there, but when it happens, we'll be the first on it. 
Texas versus West Virginia and Kansas <laughs> State. Two wins in conference play, y'all. Honestly, a very impressive win against West Virginia and an impressive comeback against Kansas State where they did basically everything right in the second half to pull out a win away in conference play. And a fun stat that I saw on Twitter is that there is not a single team in the Big 12 that is ranked lower than 64 in Ken Palm. So all the teams are ranked from 1 to 64, somewhere in that range. So they're all potentially tournament teams. So getting a win away from home against a potential tournament team, now, I mean, whether or not they're actually going to go to the tournament is up for debate. I, but I mean, they may go to a tournament. And, and, and a, to, to the, what, the CBI? Yeah, pr- probably, because the NIT, you have to have a 500 record, so... That's true. Yeah. It is a good, very important, quick start and a good start for this team against talent that they haven't played before, you know, this past week. But there are caveats to that, right? They played some teams that were basically playing with, you know, a hand tied behind their back due to a lot of talent missing. In fact, them missing and then their head coach. One could argue whether or not that was a detriment for Kansas State. True, honestly, yes. But how much credence should we give to these wins? I think that's a fair question. They're asterisks. <laughs> I just I don't think that you can you can go you can go into those games where West Virginia was missing their best score, their best player clearly, and then they're they're also their you know maybe their best or one of the best defenders they had. Uh, and then Kansas State was rocking seven guys plus a walk-on. I mean, so they're all D1 players. These are all capable athletes. But there's no question that this is this is a game. These are both games that Texas um, really should have won, given that we were, you know, I think full strength against West Virginia, against a not full strength Mountaineer team, and then you know one player shy of full strength. I mean, missing Andrew Jones is no is no uh, that's that's not nothing. But uh, but Kansas State was was without you know whatever it was like forty five percent of their scoring and sixty two percent of their rebounding or whatever it was, so that that's a game that we should win. And I just you know when you when you look at Texas's schedule, it's super back heavy. The last eight games of our schedule this year in conference are tough, like really really tough. Um, so you feel like if you know if if Texas has hopes for a second weekend um, appearance this year in the tournament, they're probably going to want to be at least a five or a four seed. Well, if they're going to do that, they're probably going to get to like 11 wins. Well, there's not a lot of wins in the back end of our conference slate. So, you know, I thought the West Virginia win was more impressive than Kansas State. But regardless, no matter what it was, uh, the biggest takeaway is, hey, we're 2-0. and And any wins that Texas can kind of build up at the beginning part of the of this uh conference slate the better and then we'll sort of uh we'll see where the chips fall later on in the season so um i don't i don't walk away like crazy impressed glad they won but but it is what it is i I mean texas had something similar to them happen last year when they played oklahoma right where they just were missing everybody and you know in the end it didn't hurt them but it certainly didn't help they were what a they kind of lost them a seed in the conference tournament and probably lost them a seed in the regular, you know, March Madness when they had to play two games where they were basically hamstrung by COVID. So, you know, this year they got 
the better end of that. Now we're not done with this year and we're not done with COVID this year, but we'll take the wins where we can get them. Right. That's what you're saying, Tim. Yeah. I think that there's an asterisk, but this, this whole season is just going to be weird because every team is going to run through some variation of this at some point. Um, you know, the TCU still hasn't played a conference game as of this recording. Uh, Tech finally played their first one while we were recording this. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch that game, probably don't because uh, it was it was rough. Um, Run far away. Yeah. Now, what are you saying? That was one of the best games I've ever watched and a proud member of the Sicko Committee right that here. Was, yeah, that was very much an MST3K sort of viewing experience. We just hurl things at the screen uh, because yeah, you're not going to hit them just like they're not going to hit any shots. So... Um, I, I, I would like to real quick say as a part impartial viewer watching bad football when they're supposed to be high quality or watching bad basketball when it's supposed to be high quality is just entertainment that you just can't find anywhere else. Sorry. Sorry for cutting you off. Yeah. That's... Well, Iowa State was shooting two for 18 in the second half and they were winning. one for 15 <laughs> in the second half. They were shooting six percent. Like 15 minutes into that that second half, yeah, it was and bad. And winning, <laughs> yes, and winning, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there there is an asterisk, but at the same time, there's just going to be asterisks all over the season. Um, I I I kind of think that the asterisk for the West Virginia game should be fairly small because even though they were without Sherman and that matters, the way Texas was playing defensively, uh, I and offensively, I don't think West Virginia was going to win that game even with Sherman. It probably would have been closer, but I, I still think that's you know Texas was just on another level that day. Um, and the Kansas State game was you know again an asterisk, and I think. You know, the the place where it's going to kind of gnaw at me a little bit is not so much the games, but we have come to rely on uh, analytics and advanced metrics a lot. Uh, Me as much as anyone, if not more so. And I can't stop but think of the fact that at the end of the day, those advanced metrics are based on the box scores of these games and these box scores are heavily influenced by the amount of guys that Kansas State has out or the amount of guys West Virginia has out or later on in the season, probably Texas is going to have some guys out. And it's just, it's not to me a true representation of how good or bad these teams are. And so because we're going off of sort of imperfect data, the metrics are going to be a little wonky, right? Like Texas went up th- three spots in Ken Palm because they beat West Virginia by more than what you would expect, but they beat them by more than what you would expect because Taz Sherman wasn't there to put in 10 to 15 points or whatever. Right. So like, it's just kind of, it's just going to be a weird season. And I think that's, that's going to kind of throw a wrench into a lot of this, especially as we sort of predict going forward. Cause I mean, we dealt with the season of Andrew Jones getting cancer and how big of a wrench that threw into things. Um, and it's just, I think that's going to be something going forward where it's like, it's great. They got the wins. They need to get the wins. As, as Tim mentioned, this, the schedule is very backloaded. So, um, any wins you get now is great because it, you're going to have to, you're going to have to hope you could pick up some wins at the end. But on, on a macro level, if you're looking at something like how Texas makes it to a four or five seed and 11 wins. Well, to do that, you got to sweep a couple teams. 
And to do that, you got to win away games. So Kansas State away is theoretically the easiest game, away game that they're going to have out of the Big 12, uh, at least at this point. And so the, them getting that is, is a help in them getting, you know, getting and staying above 500 in conference play. Now let's dive deep into these two games now. I do want to talk about West Virginia because I think there's a lot of good things to take away from that game. I don't think I've seen Texas's defense play that well against that quality of opponent, even under Shaka Smart. I, can y'all think of a time? I the, the the rotations were very tight. On ball defense was very good. They choked out Texas Tech quite a few times. Uh, you know, maybe incarnate word, but against that quality of opponent, I don't think I've seen as good a defense under Texas. And that's what you're going to get under Chris Beard is some very solid defense. And I think Texas got a taste. I think that's the best Texas can offer under Chris Beard. That that's, that's what Chris Beard can do for you. I adore you. Will you struck a nerve a little bit. Uh, Shaka is an absolutely phenomenal defensive coach. <laughs> like, oh no, like, I'm not saying Shaka's yeah. not a good coach. I'm saying that no, that no, was, I, this is something that's been on our site quite a bit. Like people, are I'm going to have to fine. agree with Tim here. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it is, de- it's probably definitely recency bias. So yeah. they, it was very good. And they, they do play. It's, it's a very different style of defense, not a very different style, but it's, it's different enough. And again, we're, but I, I, I look back at, I don't want to talk too much about Shaka, so sorry. But like, uh, um, this is something that that we've been talking about on our website at InsideTexas.com. Come hang out with us, awesome community. Uh, like, you know, people posting like, finally good defense. Like, oh, this is what defense looks like. Like, no, and I know you're not saying that. I know you're not saying that, Will. Uh, but I, but, but I have seen some of it, and uh, and so what I would what I would tell people is, as you're thinking about the way that 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 Beard runs his defense, um, and Specifically, what we've seen against both Kansas State and West Virginia is we we really choked them out. Like from a standpoint, of like how how slow we force them to play, and what the no middle defense does a really good job of, of course, is it doesn't allow. Like it's it's like the whole point of it is it doesn't allow you to create and initiate offense um, in the place where offense becomes the most beneficial to you. So like where what M- the NBA and college games have become largely is a as like a drive and kick kind of basketball experience. Like that's just sort of how basketball has evolved over the last 15, 20, 30 years from the time when like, you know, you think of like the Showtime Lakers or you think of like the triangle for the Bulls or you know, like the, even like the running horns, like the, like the triple handoff or whatever, but on top of the, at the top of the key, like we just don't see a whole lot of that anymore. It's a lot more read and react. Uh, it's a lot more ball screens. Um, and it's just, Hey, drive and kick or drive and finish. Like that's, that's just sort of the name of the game. Um, and, and so the whole concept of the no middle defense is like, okay, well, we want to, we want to force people to initiate their offense and create looks that do not come from drive and kick. Right. Or if you are going to drive, we're going to force you to drive away from the basket. Um, and we're going to give up good looking three point shots, which is what you saw against Kansas state in the first half. And we're going to give up some, um, some dribble penetration uh, around the corners, if you know, but but we're willing to do that to make sure that you're staying out of the paint. I think that the microcosm of of why I kind of care about this when we talk about Shaka versus Beard, which is not something I want to talk about very often this this season, but Shaka was much more likely to say, "Hey, we've got the athletes to trust. Like 
we're going to trust that Jericho Sims can literally switch onto any guard in the, in the conference. And he did so absolutely beautifully last year. That's not how Beard does it. Like Beard is going to be much more purposeful about, okay, we're going to look for these matchups and you're going to switch here and you're not going to switch here. Um, and we're going to take advantage of, of what we think is, is, um, or where we have the mismatches on both sides of the floor. And Beard is just, is super methodical about that. Um, and so as people watch, like don't don't necessarily look at it and say, hey, this is how bad Shaka was, which again is not what Will was saying. Um, but do think about it as like like this is again, that's that's just an, another microcosm of how Beard coaches. Johnny and I were talking, I don't remember if it was like September or October, maybe it was even during this like one of the earlier podcasts this year. The thing that is true about Beard, every single thing you see on the court, everything from from guys shot faking fucking constantly <laughs> to a no middle defense to you know to Timmy Allen being the guy at the top of the key that that never you know that, that switches constantly and is always at the top of the key to you know to Marcus Carr jacking threes to Courtney Raymond playing 38 minutes like it's everything is purposeful like there's no random shit with with Beard it's always there so when Texas starts running against Incarnate Word and starts pushing the tempo against West Virginia and Kansas State a little bit. That's on purpose. That's because Beard told them to do that. That's not. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens because the head coach of Texas said, "This is what we're going to do now." Um, and and so when we start kind of understanding what is it like being a program run by Chris Beard, that's really that's kind of what we're talking about. Is like, hey, we're asking guys to play a super specific, exact way. Um, and when they buy in and they can do it, um, and you've got the athletes for it, it it's it's going to look really good. But um, it is it is just a, it's a nuanced difference between um, what we've seen and what there is now. So again, I'm not I'm not trying to jump on you, Will, but that's that is something that I think Texas fans are missing a little bit. So when was the last time you saw a defense that good, though? Oh, never. I've never. That's the best I've ever seen. So I was right. I mean. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I'm glad I'm glad we could come to an agreement there, Johnny. What do you think? I want to get back to Will offering himself up to the gay community as a sacrifice. (laughs) Doing that, Um, no. So, uh, yeah, I I mean, I think it was uh, against West Virginia. It was an extremely good defensive game plan, and they executed it very well. It was um, probably the. I mean, it's definitely the best they looked this year against high major competition, which is now what four games um they they've they did what they needed to do they they were able to turn west virginia over way more than west virginia was able to turn them over which was uh good to see for texas because both teams came into the game turning people over a lot so the fact that texas was able to take care of the ball against west virginia like they did uh was good the fact that west virginia was not was also a good sign um that that I I still think the Texas turnover uh, turnovers force rate is going to drop a little bit, um, but maybe not as much as I I had thought previously. So, well, it certainly did against K State. So yeah, I mean that's that's the other side of it, and and, and we can get into that shortly. Um, but as far as West Virginia is is concerned, I thought that was um, I mean that that that's that's why I don't think there's that big of an asterisk on it because they just they were just playing a really good game. Um, Let's get into the Kansas State game now because it seems like that defense had a hard time against the five-out offense that Kansas State ran 
at least in the first half, and then they kind of got their sea legs under them, uh, especially when Kansas State stopped getting as fucking boiling lava hot as they were in the first half. Well, to to be fair, it was Nigel Pack getting boiling fucking hot and not a whole lot else. I mean, right. He had, what, 15 points out of the—he was he was like half their offense at least in the first half. Right. Um, so the, the one of the weaknesses of, of the no-middle defense is uh, against a five-out offense that is properly spaced and is hitting outside shots, um, it makes it very hard for the no-middle defense to bring weak side help, to bring aggressive help. Um, because if you've got a five out offense and you, you picture it as two guys in the corners, you've got a big who is, well, I'm just going to say for the moment around the basket, you've got, uh, the point guard and another, another guard or wing up, up outside the three point line. Uh, when that big exits the paint to go start that screen, the defense has a choice to make. And it is either go with that big and therefore there's now nobody in the paint or hang back and, you know, sort of just try and it's, it's how, how do you want to hedge? Do you want to hedge hard? Do you want to, do you want to play uh, a drop coverage and, and hope you can keep in front of you, whatever. Right. But the other, the, the important part of this is that if those two guys in the corner are credible three point shooters, and especially if they hit a couple shots, then the guys who would normally run in to aggressively help are stuck far enough away from the paint that it makes it harder for them to actually come and help in time. And that's one of the things that Kansas State was doing over and over again in the first half is they they basically made it a three-man game with the the point guard, the big, and the other guy the other person with the two the two guys sitting in the corners and with that three-man game and all three guys were out at or near the three-point line all the defenders are out at or near the three-point line because of the way Texas plays the pick and roll. Uh, their their choices in switching, uh, especially when they've got three bigs out there, it's sort of a it's a good rebuttal to that because if you if you could go small and you could turn a corner, uh, you're going to put Texas in 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 a world of hurt. In the second half, one of the, well partway through the first half and and definitely in the second half, one of the things that Texas did is they basically said we're going to take our chances that those guys in the, in the corners aren't going to, aren't going to rain threes on us. And they started cheating off them so they could get that help there faster. And that shut down uh, a lot of those straight line drives that Kansas state was getting in the first half. So I'll be interested to see uh, how some other teams attack Texas in that manner, uh, especially teams that can really shoot the three like Kansas. I'll, I'll be interested to see how, how they do it, but that's, that was that was part of the defensive issues that Texas was having. Offensive was was another another thing. Well, super briefly defensively, and and I guess I'll go back to macro real quick. Um, although I know we're into the micro section here. Uh, 2016, no- when Shaka was here. <laughs> what the no middle defense also does is it kind of incorporates. It's like a hybrid between zone and man. So you know, it takes zone, it takes man principles, but it also kind of employs them in a zone type of style. Um, you know, because as far as like where defensively our positioning is, where we're going to allow people to have space and not have space, um, you know, and I think a couple of things against K-State that were true was, first of all, we allowed a lot of blow-bys, kind of all game, but especially in the first half, it felt like we were, you know, we were not doing a good job of stopping ball. That's just an issue we're going to have against good teams, period. I mean, we're, it's just, that's going to happen. Um, the other part about it that I thought was um, was a little bit frustrating was 
I think we got a glimpse in that first half of how teams that can actually execute against the zone offense might look against us. If you're a rise and fire team and you can take quick shots comfortably with quality shooters, there is some holes in our defense. Um, And especially it felt like, uh, you know, it wasn't just that Pack was hitting from deep. And certainly he was like he was on fire from outside. But once he hit a couple of shots, we seemed to be very reactionary. Um, And it felt like there were a number of times where Texas bigs in that in that game against Kansas State were trying to um, we were trying to close out without a whole lot of integrity. Um, and so like a good team, I think would have probably done a pump fake and gotten to the rim or looked for some kind of dump off or whatever. And if Kansas state didn't have like absolutely like no one on the interior because of, uh, because of their foul trouble and because of how, how, uh, thin they were, uh, I think it could have been maybe a different game, but I, I just, when you, you got, when you got popped on a couple of those pump fakes in the second half. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate him closing out and he's I mean again he's a, he's he's kind of sneakily fast and quick like he's got those long legs and long strides so it's a little bit it looks a little bit awkward but um I, I like watching him play hard so like I'm not going to ding him for that but but I, again I like it's it's not a zone defense but it does have some zone principles and so um we saw a team that got kind of all it took was like Kansas State getting pretty hot and they didn't like shoot lights out in the first half. They were 44% from the outside from three in the first half, which is good. Like that's very good, but that's not like blazing. That's not like 80% or 70% you see sometimes. Um, And that was enough to make us be like, oh shit, what do we do? Um, So when, you know, when we play against teams that have far more talent, far more, far more firepower than what Kansas State has, even as well as they were playing in the first half, I think that, you know, okay, those chinks in the armor are going to be there. So, um, something for us to consider as we move forward. One thing that we did see in both games, though, is guys like Courtney Ramey and Marcus Carr getting hot. Uh, specifically, I mean, we shouted out at the beginning of the show. Marcus Carr seems to have found some sort of stride in these past two this past week uh, against West Virginia and Kansas State. Just when we were like, hey, you know, what's going on with Marcus Carr? You know, we haven't. We haven't seen anything from him, and you know maybe something. You know, this just isn't working out. Boom, twenty point games, seven rebounds and ten rebounds, and a lot of assists compared to turnovers. I mean, five assists to zero turnovers against Kansas State. That's a, you know, I don't know math goodly, but you know that seems pretty good. And also, Courtney Ramey seems to. Uh, I mean, honestly, he's continuing a really good year. Uh, but is backing up Marcus Carr's performance, which has allowed Texas to do what it has done in the past two weeks, which is, you know, win. And I don't say win convincingly because they didn't win convincingly against Kansas State, but they won convincingly against Can- against West Virginia. That performance would have beat West Virginia even with them at full strength. And then guys like Timmy Allen or Trey Mitchell uh, or Dylan DeSue coming in and being good four or five guys. Uh, that seems to really worked these past two weeks what of the offense has changed and I think I know the answer uh you know maybe we didn't see it in the first half of the Kansas State game I think I know the answer but what is it about this offense that's changed this past week Brock Cunningham came in that that's the answer right uh, you know what I, you, Johnny you always you always throw me curveballs here I didn't see it I didn't see it, but you're 100% right. Well, neither did right. Lance Blanks because he said, Brock Cunningham hasn't played tonight. And I was like, he was he was on the court like five minutes ago, man. Four or four minutes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Tim. I want to hear his answer on what changes the offense. 
Well, without getting too simplified with this, I really do think that the faster we can play in some spots, it's going to help us. What what I a missed opportunity in my opinion against the shitty teams that we played in the non-conference schedule was it's it felt like we were so hell-bent on getting Christian Bishop and Trey Mitchell and um and even Timmy like post-up looks or low block looks in some of our half-court sets um which was fine and I understand like trying to get them cooking and it's 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 good and I think Trey Mitchell will probably win us some games and certainly you know obviously Timmy Allen was a huge help against Kansas State but I just against the best teams that we play, I just that's that's not going to be something that we can rely on for points. So we've got to figure out how we can manufacture some of those points elsewhere. And I was really pleased to see that continued emphasis on hey, let's get up and move because this is a team that I think or Texas is a team that I think needs to find. You know, if we can get. 12, 14, 17 points a game on the move like that, it's really going to make a difference for us. And so the more we can kind of get some of those looks, um, the better. And I think that Texas has just has just been um, more consistently focusing on finding some of those opportunities in the in the open court. Because again, we're smart. We pass well. Um, that's there. Otherwise, if you think about Marcus Carr and Courtney Ramey, they were this they were volume shooting. Right. I mean, I don't think either of them shot particularly super efficiently against Kansas State. I don't think either of them will shoot super efficiently, period. Um, but some of those shots, you know, you you look against Kansas State. I, I want to say that we had 55 shots and Marcus and Courtney combined for 26 of them. Right. So, I mean, that's 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 just a that's a pretty significant if you add if you add, I want to say uh, Timmy Allen had 13. So there's 71 percent of our shots by those three guys against Kansas State. Right. So. Um, and, and I have nothing, I have no problem with Courtney and Marcus shot hunting. That's a, that's a positive thing for us. I, I want them both doing that, but it, it has felt like in the non-conference schedule, we were trying to do some round peg square hole kind of stuff, whether again, it's, it's saying like, Hey, Christian Bishop, you've came, you transferred from Creighton. We're so grateful. We're going to give you the shot to be this high level interior scorer. Like you want the chance to be. He's six foot seven and not particularly skilled. Hey, Trey Mitchell, thanks for transferring from UMass. We're gonna give you a chance, to, like, see if you can like take that next step at a at a high, you know, P five level, and and let's see what you can do. He's kind of athletically not very good, and which both of those things are a huge deal. But uh, when we when we try to kind of like force the issue in those circumstances, surprise, even against not great teams, we just didn't look wonderful with it. And I do think that Courtney and Marcus um, give us an opportunity to have a little bit. Um, when they're taking quality shots, we're going to get second chance points looks. We're going to get an opportunity to, to feel like, hey, we're, we're finding some shots in rhythm. We're going to put the ball in the hands of our best playmakers. And we're not going to put both Courtney and Marcus in some shitty situations, which is actually them being playmakers and creators of others' offense. If you tell Courtney or Marcus, make the smart pass, make the open pass, pass to guys who are, you know, like open from three off of drive and kick or or pass to guys like cleanly around the perimeter, they will make that pass pretty well every single time. Um, if you say, hey, pass someone open going to the lane, they might do it a couple times a game, but that's just not their strength. That's not who they are. Marcus Carr is not a point guard in that way. He's a combo guard, or maybe more so he's a scoring guard that likes to have the ball in his hands. Um, and so as we've allowed him and Courtney to kind of do more of that over these last couple of games, 
I think we've seen the offense look a lot more comfortable. Now, from that standpoint, I would like to see Jace be more involved in the offense. I actually am very frustrated with <laughs> with how little he's involved. I'd like to see Timmy Allen handle the ball less. Like I know he had a good game against Kansas State. He's just I don't trust him if we start playing more athletic, faster teams around the perimeter. So there's still some things that can be cleaned up and some things that I'm not sure are going to translate like we'd like them to, but we've I I do think we've stopped asking some of our guys like we're not getting some of our interior players looks on the low block that just don't make a lot of sense for them. We're not asking our ball handlers to do some things that maybe they're just not super capable of. And as we've taken some of those pieces away, I do think we're looking more comfortable on top of also moving a little bit faster and taking some chances in the open floor. So sorry for the super long answer. No, no, no. I want I want to add on to that to see if you know before Johnny says it. I want I want us to say it. I I think on top of the the playing quicker and. You know, getting them asking asking them to do less of what they're not comfortable doing. I think it's also that they have been sort of let off the leash a little bit. A lot of these players, in terms of what they are allowed to do, for example, pulling up for a three point shot in transition, probably not gonna be super happy beard fun times in the film room you know, before West Virginia, but it seems like they were sort of let off the hook in a lot more and allowed to play a lot more freely. We're seeing Marcus Carr start to take advantage and to really take control of a few different possessions. And then when we saw them sort of sink back into their shell, that was the first half of the Kansas State game where they sort of were robotically playing and running an offense and making the one more pass when they didn't need to, or saying, Hey, I, you know, I shouldn't take that shot because it's not a good shot for this offense. That's when you started to see Texas sort of stumble out of the gate and the Kansas state game. And they only scored 29 points when they're able to play kind of, it's kind of like getting a rhythm, right. And allowing them to get the rhythm means that they're able to, stay hot when they get hot or even get to the position where they get hot. It's allowed Marcus Carr to really come out it, you know, come out of his shell and Courtney Ramey, same thing. You know, we've talked about the re- they're relying less on the guys down, you know, down low, which has woken the offense. As you said, Tim, on top of playing faster, they're playing freer and they've been freed. They're basically no longer forced to run a half court offense if they don't need to, or they're no longer forced to make the one extra pass because, Oh, there's a guy who is closing in on me a little faster or something. Well, I think kind of, yes. Like I, I I get where you're going with this. Um, I I also think that it's sort of, it's it's like when you go uh, to the grocery store and you pick up some cage free chicken and you're like, they're, they're still probably in a cage. They're just in a bigger cage, right? Like, it's it's a cage where they get to move around instead of being squashed into a foot-by-foot section. Uh, that's kind of, that's that's as free as Beard is going to get, right? Like, he's just not a dude who's like, go out there, do whatever, guys. Let's just, let's see how this goes. Um, but I do think there's something to the fact that uh, they are... They are passing up far fewer shots in the last two games than than they have, or past three games than they have in the ten games before it. 
Uh, like it's it's order of magnitude fewer shots they're passing up, which is good. Um, they are, to your point, they are pushing the ball up the court a little faster to get into their offense faster. Um, they are, when they get into transition opportunities, they're actually trying to get to the rim a little better. Although maybe Andrew Jones shouldn't do it so much because, good Lord, he gets his shot blocked a lot. Um, but, the you know, you look at, like, uh, the... It does seem like they have streamlined things to some extent, right? Like they are not telling Marcus, you have these four shots you can take or you have to pass to these exact spots. It is, we need you to get downhill and make make a play. And if that person is open, pass it. If they're not, get to the rim. Or, you know, like there's, there, it's like they're taking... The, the six options that they tried to throw at him and saying, okay, now you, now there's three, but these are the three that you do well. And he's doing better with it. And so um, the, the end result is that it looks freer. It, it looks faster, um, even though they, they're not getting a ton more possessions than they were, you know, two, three, four weeks ago. It just generally feels like they're doing something that looks coherent. So um, it, to that extent, yes. One of the things that that a lot of teams build into their offensive set is when we talk about, you know, a, a getting on the fast break or even that, some of those secondary breaks, I don't know that there's a coach in the country that, that doesn't spend five to seven minutes every single practice running three on two and two on ones. Right. It's so like they're looking for those secondary break practices and they're trying to build that into that. And, and a lot of times when you have, when I sat here and talked at the beginning of the season, like, oh, this guy can pass. Oh, this guy can pass. This guy can pass. And he's these guys are really smart. Part of that is understanding, like, okay, I can get a rebound. And then and then I have the intelligence to like, look up and understand where the outlet's going to be. And I think Texas has that kind of um, has that kind of basketball IQ as they do that. And it has felt like we've done a better job in the last few games of saying, like, okay, let's recognize when we have those three on twos and two on ones and, and exploit that. And then on top of that, you also kind of just have your automatics, right? So when you, let's say that, let's say that you have, you know, Ramey gets the ball off the defensive rebound and he finds himself on the bottom right hand of the lane. Right. And Jace is on the far left side. And so is Desue and then Timmy Allen and, uh, Marcus are also on the court, but Marcus and 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 Timmy are kind of far right. Like whatever lane they're in, most most teams across the country are going to say, okay, when we find ourselves uh, with these guys in these lanes, off of our rebound or off of our defensive set or whatever, this is automatically the play that we're going to run, right? Like, okay, when this guy is here and this guy's here, then so when we're positioned in this way and you're moving into the offensive side of the court then we're going to run this play. And it does feel like Texas is getting more comfortable with both of those things, recognizing as a program, as a team, as, as guys who are kind of getting used to each other, hey, he, you know, oh, we've got these we've got these uh, mismatches or we've got these numbers in our favor so we can get moving. And then also, okay, we've been inside this offense for long enough that we're kind of understanding our automatics, right? So they don't even have to, like, one thing I've noticed in the last couple games, they're not calling out as many plays from the bench. And I think that doesn't signify that we're not running more plays. I think it signifies that Texas is getting more comfortable in their automatics. So they understand like, okay, well, when I'm here and they're here, then these are the set plays that we would normally run off of that. So we're just going to get into those automatically. Um, and I think as, as that as those comfort levels do build in, you're going to see things about how much 
it, it will be a positive for us. And you'll see like, oh, yeah, Marcus Carr was first team all Big 12. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Timmy Allen was first team all Pac-12. Oh, yeah, we know that Courtney Ramey is capable of being a Big 12 caliber guard when he's playing at his at his peak. And some of that stuff, I think, will kind of have the chance to more flow and and uh, and, and be more consistent as they get more comfortable in um hey, this this is how our style is going to work. This is how this system is going to uh, function for us. Let's get into the next two games. Let's start looking forward here uh, in the last 20 minutes of the show here. Oklahoma's, the Oklahoma's, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Who are each of these teams this year? Uh, who are the people we should watch out for? And how are they going to attack Chris Beard? How have they attacked Chris Beard in the past? So let's start with Oklahoma State, the Cowboys. Texas is playing at Oklahoma State. This will be Texas's uh, best opponent they played away um, since Seton Hall. Seton Hall, right? Fifty-three. So, who are they? Well, they're the best for now. Uh, there's there's a there's a non-zero chance that uh, they drop below Kansas State at some point this season. Um, they're they're not great. Uh, they're good defensively. Uh, Last time we said that, every time we say that, they're not great. We should beat them. Texas loses. Well, no, because we said that about Kansas State, and they beat Kansas State. Okay, he's right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. No, that's this here. Here's and this is one of the differences between the Shaka Smart and Chris Beard era is is that uh, generally Chris Beard beats the teams he's supposed to beat. Uh, whereas Shaka every once in a while will throw up a big old WTF. Um, so that's this. This is why we should feel marginally more comfortable at saying this than I will in never feel seasons. comfortable as a Texas fan. I said I said marginally, as yeah. in like from you know ten percent confidence to twenty five. Um, twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with twenty. Um, so what Oklahoma State does well is they force a lot of turnovers um that's one of their they're, they're very aggressive defense they uh they're very active they 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 really try and uh force uh <clears throat> excuse me force a lot of turnovers they get a lot of steals and they block a lot of shots so um texas is going to have to be on the lookout for one not making lazy passes and two uh not let Timmy Allen try and take shots in within five feet because they will get blocked somewhere into the sun. Oklahoma State, while they have problems, they still have a ton of athletes. They are they are very athletic, and um, the Boone brothers and some of the others on the team, uh, Musa Cisse, I forget he's there. Um, it, assuming all those guys are there and not in protocols. Uh, they're going to alter and block some shots. So they'll make it tough around the rim for um, just about any of the Texas players. Uh, on the other side of the ball, their problem is that they also turn the ball over a lot. Like They play a, a pretty fast tempo uh, of offense. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone watched the Kansas-Oklahoma State game from a night or two ago, but they were getting up and down the court constantly. Uh, the downside is that because there was a lot of tr- there were also a lot of turnovers that resulted, so they were just getting up and down the court and not scoring so much for a while. Um, but yeah, so uh, Oklahoma State does not shoot the three well at all. They turn the ball over a lot, but they do get a lot of offensive rebounds, so um, they're going to try and get second chance points, uh, especially from their bigs. So that that's kind of, well unlikely who is 
sort of a, a big in a guard's body. Um, that, but they're going to be they're going to be a challenge for uh, Texas defensive rebounding numbers. They're going to be a challenge for uh, Texas protecting the ball. They're going to be a challenge uh, in terms of getting their shots blocked. But Texas is the better team here. And even though this is uh, at Oklahoma State. Uh, this is not this is not last year's Oklahoma State team, and um, if they start really getting down on themselves because they don't have anything to play for the postseason, um, that this this could be a pretty rough year for Oklahoma State. Yeah, this is actually a super similar team to last year for Oklahoma State, minus two things. The first is minus Cade Cunningham, and the second is minus. Uh, as Johnny said, any kind of hope for the season. <laughs> so they uh, they have already been ruled ineligible for postseason play by the NCAA, uh, which I have to assume at this point is going to stay intact. I don't I don't envision them getting that overturned. Um, so uh, in uh, in one respect, um, I kind of wish this game was happening in a month when I think the chances that they are truly checked out are really high. They are still theoretically like you know well, we can still win a big 12 conference title. I mean, they, they can't, but like, I can understand them like having those, like those goals and identities pieces. You don't think they're even um, eligible to play in the tournament this year, right? The big 12 tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's oh, part I of the, th- the thing is that they can't even play in that. There you have it. So anyways, like I just, it, it yeah, it, like those are, two, those are two big things to be missing, <laughs> like hope and your best player uh, by a lot. So, yeah, but they, as Johnny said, they're super athletic. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Likely. Um, you know, I think that they're, they're the Boom brothers are going to rebound well. They're going to attack you in space because they're, they, you know, they can get up and jump. Um, as Johnny said, what happens with with Andrew Jones and Timmy Allen as far as how comfortable they are if they get a foot in the paint or whatever, um, how do we do playmaking with Jones and Allen? That kind of stuff will be a question mark, but... You know, again, this is a team that we should probably feel like we've got a higher skill set then. So that doesn't mean that they can't, you know, if they get a if they get a big night shooting from Anderson and the Boone brothers play really well and likely is kind of like controlling the game. I mean, look, they're super talented. Um, and again, the the disparity between them physically and us physically, I think, is is pretty it's pretty drastic. But from a from a standpoint of like we should be able to take advantage of their over ex, uh, exuberance on the defensive end, I think that this is a game where Texas should hopefully get to the foul line a decent amount. Um, and then I would think that as as Ramey and and Carr kind of um, hopefully continue to exert some of that uh, that volume shooting, it will be good. Um, I also think that we've struggled some against teams that are uh, willing to go to kind of a more um, a more strict and kind of purposeful zone i don't envision oklahoma state being that kind of team against us so i do think that um that as far as a matchup is concerned i think that that's a probably pretty positive thing for us too so yeah i I, i'm i'm optimistic that they it should be a decent matchup for texas have you all seen how they have played texas tech in the past and if that's going to affect how they play texas this year Uh, tough to say because again, I mean, to, uh, Oklahoma State last year with Cunningham, he was so ball dominant. It's tough to really think about how you you mean like how they've done against a no middle defense as far as that's concerned. I mean, it's the same basic team structure as I mean had under yeah, Texas Tech. 
Except, yeah, except for, well, yeah. I mean, the players are different. It's the same <laughs> concepts. It's the same style ball. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think that we should do well against Likely because he's not a guy that's going to rise and fire. So this defense is sort of designed to hurt exactly a guy like that. I mean, so any zone defense or or a no-middle defense, what you're saying as a college coach is we don't think that the normal college guard has the type of all-around excellent game to hurt us in this way. I mean, there's a reason you don't see a ton of zone in the NBA. It's because... Just about every guard in the NBA can dribble and shoot and pass, right? I mean, not everybody, but a lot of them can. So you just don't do it. Because, like, if you give them five and a half feet, well, then splash, my guy, they're going to hit that shot. Um, well, likely he's not going to hit that shot. So a defense like what we run makes sense against a, against a guard like that. Now, Anderson, I think, is actually a guy that probably can do some of those things at each level. Now, how consistently or if he's streaky or not will be a little bit of difference. Whereas a guy like Likely just simply won't even shoot from the outside. Like he's not even going to test you from out there. So um, I think that that Beard's defense makes sense against most college teams, unless you're talking about the Kansases and Baylors and, you know, the the tippy top teams in the country. Um in which case, I mean, like, what defense works against those teams, no matter what it is, I suppose. But, yeah, that's I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not, Will, but I, I do think that I, I do think that this defense should give some of their guys some specific difficulties because of who they are um, against a defense like this. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I'm 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 not as concerned because one, this this Oklahoma State team to date has not shown the outside shooting to really punish Texas for overcommitting on help. Um, also, most of their guards are pretty high turnover guards, and so there's a good chance that Texas is going to take that ball and run the other direction fairly often. Uh, so the question is sort of, does Texas do well enough around the rim, and does Texas get good enough shots on, at, on the perimeter that it's sort of academic? Because I think that uh, I think that shooting around the rim is going to be problematic unless Texas can manage to get guys like Cisse and the Boone brothers away from the rim. Um, but if you have let's let's just say for the argument, Andrew Jones is back for protocols at that point. If you have Jones, you have Ramey, you have Carr, uh, you have Febres, all of these guys. If two of them get hot, it's probably Church. Right, three of them get hot from deep. It's toast. So um, I think that unless Texas just fails to turn Oklahoma State over, and unless uh, Texas does has has a cold shooting night from three, they should be fairly clear favorites in this game. So let's take a look at Oklahoma and like Texas, they have a new coach, but unlike Texas, it's a completely different system up there. Uh, it's Porter Moser. Porter Moser. Porter Moser. I always say po- Porter Moser. Po- Sydney po- Poitier. Porter, Porter Moser. It's not a bad team. They've had some stumbles throughout the year, like losing to Utah State, uh, losing to Butler. Not bad teams, but, you know, you sh- probably are a better team than them. And they kept it close with Baylor uh, in their last game. They'll be playing Iowa State before Texas. What should we be looking out for with this Mosier team 
And who should we be looking out for in this Oklahoma roster? How do you think they're going to attack Texas? Uh, they're kind of they're an interesting dynamic contrast to Texas. Um, you know, Mosier, similarly to Beard, comes to Oklahoma with a you know heavy defensive um, background. Um, I don't. They're not super duper similar as far as how they play. Um, they're much more likely to switch than we are kind of all like almost every single ball screen. They switch all the time. Oklahoma does. Um, they're just, they're crazy fundamentally sound. They do a good job of closing out on threes. Um, they limit dribble penetration. I would say better than we do. Um, I'm not sure they're as fundamentally sound as far as like their spacing and, um, some of that defensive awareness piece that Texas is. I think that, that Mosier gives them a little bit more leeway than Beard does. Um, but again, they're, they're very fundamentally sound and they're, they have a lot of smart basketball players on their team, just like we do. Um, offensively, comparably, I would say they're, they're a lot about execution. They don't mind taking their time. Um, they're a little bit different than us in that they're they're not quite as deep, or at least they have um, a handful of guys that play kind of heavier minutes than Texas does with Goldwire and Harkless and Groves and Gibson and Hill. And, um, you know, those guys will kind of be on the floor a majority of the minutes, I would say. Um, so they're not quite as deep as Texas, but Mosier, you know, kind of understands how to win with a little bit um, – a little bit thinner bench as he was able to do at Loyola, uh, even in the tournament when they made the final four. And then I want to say they made the sweet 16 last year. Um, so I, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a game that, um, uh, will probably be like 61 57 or something like that. Maybe it could be a first team to 60 or first team to 57 <laughs> wins. I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I want to say that for a while Loyola was leading the was leading the country last year in in defensive points allowed. So um, it's certainly a very comparable, purposeful style and like like what they want to do and how they want their games to be run. So um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I but I it'll be interesting to see like as as Texas plays against them. I would not equate what Oklahoma runs as a no middle, but they it functions similarly in that they're going to make it slow. So both teams, I think whatever kind of defense you run, what they want to say is, Hey, we want to make you really take a longer time in your possessions. Um, uh, we want to close out from the three point line as best we can. So things like that will be interesting to see how it goes. So maybe one little wrinkle that would be interesting is like, which team gets some of those better looks in transition you know, can Texas can Texas be in that mid-teens range for looks uh, as far as for like points on the break um, and keep Oklahoma like under 10? If so, that could be the difference maker. Or does Oklahoma like just have a game where they get out and move and get some more points on some of those uh, secondary breaks or breakdown plays, um, in which case that could be the difference for them. So kind of feels like a game like that, like whichever team either gets a couple more second chance points or, or finds more joy on the break, that that could be the the backbreaker as they, um, as we get closer to the end of the game. I like, I like that phrase finds more joy on the break, but it does seem like Oklahoma likes to do that, you know, drive in, kick out game last game against Baylor. The guy who had the most assists on the team was Tanner Groves, their forward. He had the most points as well. He sort of is their team. I mean, honestly, the guy is shooting 40% from three. He's, he's like a, 
uh, an actual size Timmy Allen in some right. ways. Um, he, he's he's what you hope Timmy Allen would be, except he's six ten. Right. Um, he, he's he's an he's an interesting dude. He he tormented Kansas. And a dynamite beard. Yeah, no, that's not it's not a beard. That's just it's like a log of hair. Like that is the one of the thickest beards I have ever seen in my life. No, it, that's a it's, good that's a good beard. You know, there was a guy on the Texas football team who had like a beard like this, but it was straight hair. Like it was a straight hair beard and I've never seen it. It was actually very glorious. I've never yeah, this, seen it and I'm very as a beard beard wearing gentleman I'm very jealous of, of how nice it looked. Elijah Rodriguez had a great beard. Continue, Johnny. I, I don't know that I would say Groves' beard is, is like, it's it's very, I don't know, it's 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 plentiful, but it looks like, I don't know, like a, a bramble or something. It's just, it's like oh. a scrub brush oh, I see. or something. Bri- briar patch? Yeah, I, I see, was kinda, yeah. yeah, I was kind of thinking that. Yeah, it's like a, you know, you get hung up in a, in a whole bunch of, like a, he like looks Amish. It's it's. I mean, it's ser- It's like that beard has grown another beard inside it, and it's just. It's like it's 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 not so it much goes growing. Forward. Yeah, yeah, it goes forward, but then it's like it sort of curls inside itself. So it's 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 an impenetrable defense. Really, it's that's why Porter Mosier brought him along. He's like anybody who's got a beard like that knows defense. Um, so, it, you uh, know who he looks like? It reminds me of is Dwight's brother, cousin in the show. I haven't watched. Yeah, yeah, no, he hundred percent could be a shrewd somewhere. Yes. Yeah, uh, somewhere in that family tree. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it be it's going to be interesting because for a couple of reasons. One, um, they turn the ball over a lot, which could be the death knell for Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I, I say that. And when they played against, uh, they did okay against Baylor, who's also big on forcing turnovers. They turned over about 24% of the time, but they also force a ton of turnovers. So um, I'm going to probably harp on turnovers just about every podcast because I think that a team like Texas, who is as dependent upon forcing turnovers to limit possessions um, as, as Texas is, any time that they come across a team that is going to be roughly their equal uh, or potentially their equal in that regard where they don't get a, you know, like a plus 12 advantage and turnovers forced, uh, I, that, that sort of brings the margin for error down and I'm, I'm interested to see how things go. So between that and uh, the rebounding numbers, or those are sort of the two things I, I, I tend to focus on when I'm looking at upcoming opponents more, more than some other stuff. Uh, as far as uh, Oklahoma is concerned, they they shoot the three pretty well. Uh, you know they're, they're definitely above average team, and and it's from a, a number of positions. So I'll be interested to see if, for example, uh, Desu uh, stays on Groves instead of switching, because uh, Groves will shoot a three and he'll make them, and he can shoot it over most guys not named Desu. So uh, maybe they don't switch on him as much. Uh, I, but there's other guys, um, like, uh, like Emoja Gibson, who, who definitely, he hits a, a lot of threes. Uh, what I think's interesting is that, uh, they are the second best in the nation at two point field goal percentage, which tells me that they get a lot of shots near the rim. Um, and so if they're able to pull down, um, 
if they're actually able to pull down a lot of uh, offensive rebounds, which is, again, is not their strength, then, then they're probably going to get a lot of second chance points. So, um, and given I'm really Texas's troubles with rebounding and Tanner Groves is probably athletic superiority to a lot of our big guys. Well, I don't know if I, I mean, I don't know if I'd say he's athletically superior. I think it helps that he's six ten. It helps a lot that he's six ten. He's a six. He's if he's, he's like Timmy shooter. Allen and he's six ten, then he's got he's got the mobility of Timmy Allen, but the size. Yeah, um, but Timmy Allen say. is not super athletic, right? Like Timmy Allen is decently athletic and has a generally below the rim game, and that's sort of what Groves has. Um, so, like he's, I mean, he's 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 a fine athlete. It's just you, you're not gonna confuse him with Dessou anytime soon, and not just because of the beard. So, um, I, it's. I'm really interested in what Oklahoma is doing, partly because Mosier's defense is is very intricate and sort of a hybrid system that does a lot of different things, and partly because I have this sneaking suspicion that if they can fix one or two things, like if they can get their turnovers even to just like a D1 average kind of uh, level, they're going to surprise some people. Like they did play Baylor really tough, and it wasn't until the last 30 to 60 seconds of that game that it got beyond about a five point game. And it was, you know, Baylor was hitting free throws at the end, kind of expand the league. But, um, and they're also, they're, they're coming back from some COVID stuff because three of their guys were out against, uh, who did they play before? Uh, Kansas state. Yeah. When they played Kansas state, they were down three or four guys. So, um, I, I don't know. I think that's going to be a team that Texas is very likely a split with. I think, that's that's a that's a matchup where probably the home team wins each matchup kind of thing, um, and I, I'm just going to be interested to see how those two battle each other because Mosier is one of the few guys in the league who might be a better defensive mind than Beard, and so I want to see what he does to attack Beard because it's still a little bit TBD to me. Um, I want to see what he does to try and try and force Beard's offense into uncomfortable positions. I have one question that's going to extend the show a little bit longer than I was hoping, but it's an interesting one as a Texas fan. I hate Oklahoma. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not a fan of Oklahoma. Their teams are just, they suck. I hate them. But why don't I hate Oklahoma basketball as much as I hate Oklahoma football? Like, even relatively to, you know, I care a lot about Texas football. I care a good bit about Texas basketball, but even relatively, it's like, I don't have like a, just an, like a, I hate, like if we lose to them, I'm not going it, to, it's going to suck, but what it's, it's going to, if you lose to Oklahoma in football, just it's, it's a pain. Why, why don't I care as much about Oklahoma basketball? Why don't I hate Oklahoma basketball even proportionally as much as I hate Oklahoma football? This might be, again oversimplified when you saw the joy that Hollis Price played the game with when he was at Oklahoma that guy was kind and smiled and when the game got done TJ Ford and him hugged hard like you know they were just like they just hugged hard like like there was obvious mutual respect you see their faces you see them working hard like you see you see the camaraderie after the game um I for me that that at least for me that was it so 
Uh, I hate Oklahoma as well. <laughs> I not as much as I hate Texas A&M and Baylor, but uh, I hate Oklahoma as well. But I I do think basketball is unique in that standpoint, as opposed to, you know, you think like you think back to how hard Oklahoma fans probably hate Quan Cosby for that one huge hit that he put on the Oklahoma guy, right? Like, but Quan Cosby is wearing a helmet and he's physically destroying somebody. And imagine, you know, the same way that like we felt when. Uh, who was the who was the Oklahoma linebacker that, that like just yeah destroyed Chris Sims in that game or whatever like like uh, there's pure hatred and vitriol that I have for that because he hit these guys that I care about and like had this that play whereas I think basketball is a little bit different but it, you know and I think Kelvin Sampson's kind of a fucking tool but I but I still understand like it's just a different it's just such a different game and the other thing to remember about all these guys and and i think that both you realize this and maybe our listeners do or or perhaps they don't these guys have played like every guy that's rocking d1 basketball has been playing 70 80 90 games for the last six years like they're traveling all over the country and they see these guys constantly johnny was actually in a kind of a similar situation to me in that you know i i think that if you play tennis at a decent level, like once you start playing tennis at a high enough level, you see the exact same guys over and over. It's the same guys at every single tournament. And like, you know, like one of the reasons I wanted to travel so much more for tennis was because I was sick of playing the same kids all the time. Well, for these national basketball guys, like when they play EYBL, when they go to the Duncanville shootout, when they go to the Great American shootout, when they do, you know, like when they do the peach jam and shit like it's the same guys and on the one hand like you want to beat them but on the other hand like you you build a you build a rapport with them and i think that we see that on the court too like obviously you want to beat these teams but there's there's just that this is that different feel to it than you would feel for for a sport like football i'm not sure if that's actually answering your question so your, well, your hypothesis is the reason that the texas oklahoma basketball rivalry is even proportionally less intense than the Texas Oklahoma football rivalry is because player familiarity and and the fact that it's it's a less physically violent sport. Do you are you your your Is that your hypothesis? Grinning, I mean yeah, I mean but again, uh, Hollis Price I can't I can't overstate it. Hollis Price genuinely changed Oklahoma basketball for me kind of forever even though I I don't like them. I I hate them. But like I don't know how you can actually hate Lon Kruger. Like I'm just not sure that you can like look at that guy like what a fucking dick. Like that's just not true about him. And when I saw Hollis Price play like if my own child played with his enthusiasm and happiness on the court, like I would feel really excited about it. And I think that when you know, when you when you have that kind of experience especially over and over like Hollis Price played against Texas eight times maybe maybe more than eight times and so we saw it over and over in a little bit different way than you might see it in different sports because one or two players can have such a big impact on a game like that that was a bunch of bleeding heart bullshit from Tim he's he's over there like wanting to have a cuddle bear with a guy from Oklahoma because he smiled while he played if I was the Emperor of the United States, I would beat Eduardo Nahara with a bat if I got the chance. <laughs> I I have a, a hatred for that man that is well beyond irrational. Like oh. I, I would I would I mean, look, I'd have to use a bat because otherwise he would beat the shit out of me because he's clearly a much larger man than me and 
even though his knees are probably terrible at this point, he's still going to... I can't fight, so I, I need a bat. But, yeah, I look, okay. I th- here, here is why, and I, I'll, I'll answer this by asking you a question. In football, in the last 20 years, how many times has Texas beaten Oklahoma? Not a lot. Four, five, something like that, give yeah. or take. You know, post Vince Young, it's been what... I'm just going to say something like 15 to 5. The Oklahoma-Texas basketball rivalry is way more even than that. And they also, you you haven't really had to watch Oklahoma succeed in the the tournament at a level like you have seen Oklahoma constantly winning the conference in football and, you know, going to the the CFP and, and just generally being a tier above Texas because they have. That's yeah. not the case in, in basketball. While mm, Oklahoma insane. made a Final Four, which they lost by 44 points, <laughs> which negates making a Final Four, in my opinion. It, I mean, it doesn't really, but I enjoy bringing that fact I up. Mean, I mean, Final always... Four, 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you know, lost by two 44 negatives. points. Yeah, two negatives yeah, make was, a positive I think it was Texas. Villanova that beat them by that. Anyway, I agree with Tim on one point, that you can't really hate Lon Kruger. He seems like that's that's another piece is that Bob Stoops looks punchable as shit, right? And Lincoln Riley kind of seems like a dick tech bro kind of dude. Whereas but now, Lon, now he's a co- that was okay. He's yeah, okay. but then they went and got Venables, who I'm sure we're all gonna hate by the time August rolls around, just yeah, of because. Um, and, and they're gonna get like three five star quarterbacks and whatever. Just fuck them. So. Lon Kruger is the grandpa who always gave you candy and like would set a beer aside for you when you were 16. Just don't tell, you know, don't tell your parents. Like he seems that he was a genuinely nice human being in a a profession full of sociopaths. So, and then Porter Mosher also just seems like a kind of go get him kind of dude. Like, you know, he's, he's intense, but he's not like an asshole. He's just sort of, you know, he's very, very energetic. So, like, they're not as hateable. They're just, relatively speaking, not as hateable, in part because Texas actually wins their fair share of games, and in part because their coaches don't look like someone who is going to show up to an All Lives Matter rally. So there's there's that's there's all that, right? But still, Eduardo Naharak can fuck himself forever. <laughs> here, here. My rebuttal, uh, tell me you're not a top-level athlete without telling me you're not a top-level athlete. I mean, I'm on a podcast about basketball. How's that? <laughs> I, they, I, I don't know. I understand. Yeah, and here's and the thing. Renzi Stone was that the guy you, that was not I'm not asking you why. He didn't ask you why the players may not be super intense. He's asking why he doesn't hate them as much. And... Because Will was a high-level athlete. That's what he and I share. That's the, that's the bond that he and I have. Sure. Five minutes ago, you were like, hey, I think Johnny knows how this feels because he was also a pretty good tennis player. Like, and he, then you proved me wrong. Yeah. Fuck, like you immediately fuck proved Fuck Kyler I mean, Murray and Baker Mayfield <laughs> forever. Yeah. Like, look, if, if, if Oklahoma had a Baker Mayfield, which I would say Eduardo Nahara is the Hispanic Baker Mayfield, um, <laughs> you would probably... You would probably hate Oklahoma more, but like, like and uh, also, what, te- what is the Texas guy from Duke, is... the Christian Christian Leitner? Christian, you, you Leitner. mean 
You yeah. mean uh, Drew Timmy 1.0? Yes. Trey Young can also go <laughs> yeah, fuck himself forever. That's <laughs> just. Okay, so let me ask you this, Johnny. And I, so, do who which? Uh, at what level do you think is has the most vitriol? I'm sorry, Blake Texas Griffin fan- is okay, sort of okay. In my book, he's sorry. okay he, now. He's a dude. He's okay now. He's great. Yes. He's okay he's now that he's forever. not. Yeah, he he was. He's okay now that he's in the NBA. Yes. Like at Oklahoma, he's been. He's been kind of a for like likable 13 dude. Years. Yeah, what are you so yes, yeah, so he's been okay for about thirteen years. Yeah, I'm allowed to okay. enjoy him because he's no longer in Oklahoma. Uh, yes, but for as soon as he starts days. spouting Oklahoma shit on Twitter and whatnot, yeah, the, the, the minute he starts liking Toby Keith tweets, his shit's over. He doesn't though. Good grief, you people. Okay, Johnny's an angry elf. Uh, but the do you think that Texas fans hate Nahara? More or equally or less to Oklahoma fans hating Muneki? I'm going to say less because Oklahoma fans... So you think rem- Oklahoma fans hate Muneki more than we hate Nahara? Yeah, because I think most Texas basketball fans don't know who Eddie Nahara is in the first place. <laughs> I, think there's a, I think there's a number of Oklahoma fans that'd be like, oh man, fuck that guy. Whereas it's just me out here in front of the Mavs G League affiliate where Nahara used to work, being like, fuck you, man, and then running away, <laughs> hiding in a bush. Yeah. The brick All right, window. Will, I will, I will send you a $50 gift certificate to any restaurant of your choice if you can tell me who was the, uh, was the leading scorer of the team with Nahara and Renzai Stone. Renzai Stone. No, no, no. Ah, uh, No. His name was Ryan Miner. He was also a really good baseball pitcher. Sad stuff. Sad face. You probably would have. So how how old were you in like ninety five? Two. Was he alive? Okay, he was two. You uh, were two in ninety five. Yeah. Tough stuff for me. Yeah. yeah okay. I don't. Okay. How, that how been deep a great in the year, year are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I guess probably like dead December. Yeah, I think that's One. that's part. Okay. No. <laughs> would you have got? Would you have gotten Ryan Miner? Johnny? No. No, I wouldn't have. I was born in 93 in November. So what would that make me? Yeah, in both of two. your defenses, yeah. they were it was two. the big 8 at that point. So yeah. I was even... I was probably way more into hating Arkansas right. at that point. Back in 95, I really wasn't into, you know, the big 8. I was really more of like a, you know, Southwestern Conference. Well, you know, I've been right, you were right more, at the beginning you were of the big 12, like, but like you know, I really didn't get into Texas basketball until the Big 12 formed. So, you know, you're right. Yeah. I really wouldn't know that question. Yeah, Will, 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 Will was more into, into it, teething at that point. You missed a tough – that was an awesome time to watch Texas basketball. Like Reggie Freeman, Chris Clack, DeJuan Vasquez, Roderick Anderson, Terrence Wrencher, Sonny Alvarado. Oh, my gosh. That was an, it was genuinely a fun time to watch Texas basketball. And even then, like, you know, like Texas Tech had uh who were the guys that were there? It was like uh Darvin Ham was at Texas Tech. Yeah, Ham. Was it Sasser was one of the guys that was at, at Tech when they made it to the Sweet Sixteen. There was there was some good that ass was, basketball. That was also there. around the time of a player who I hate even more than Eddie Nahara, Oliver Miller. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. Oliver Miller, that piece that, of shit. Yeah, I would. Oh God, I'll be mighty that dude. Oh, Oliver I Miller and so much. Scotty Day and uh, Lee Mayberry. I want to say were the three guys from Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Right Oliver Day and yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Cool. I was in uh, I was in the the pro image in the mall watching that game, <laughs> Texas versus Arkansas. <laughs> it's like, can we go to the mall? Why? I want to watch the Texas game. <laughs> just sat in front of the store window watching the Texas Arkansas NCAA tournament game. Ninety five was the year that Texas got beat by Joe Smith in the second round against Maryland. That was a sad. Sounds like a blast. Sad time. Sounds like a blast. Well, anyways, on that note, thank you all for listening. Thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour and about 10 minutes. I've been your host, Will Bajer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. I'd like to make an official announcement. I really regret taking down the A&M made a killer hire tweet. Um, Just a bad move by myself because I wasn't making fun of the death of Jordan McNair. I was making fun of A&M for making a stupid fucking hire. Um. So, yeah, anyways, uh, Johnny, where can we find you? Uh, Twitter, at Bitter White Guy. Uh, also on, uh, on Substack, at Bitter White Guy, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. Uh, also on Reddit, at Bitter White Guy. Uh, pretty, pretty much everywhere. Man, yeah. any stupid tweets recently? Oh, always. Cool. Look, I am, I am the Marcus Carr of tweeting. It's just volume. <laughs> sometimes I, I hit the 30 footer and sometimes I just clank it off the bottom of the rim. It just, that's how it goes. Tim, where can we find you? Uh, on Twitter at inside Texas hoop. No S I actually tweeted today. Uh, sometimes I hit the 30 footer and other times I hit the 30 footer. Uh, also at inside Texas.com. Awesome community. Come hang out with us. We'd love to have you. And you guys also please hang out with us on discord at the horns cast channel discord and on the patreon help us support the show and keep us running uh big shout out to Brittany and cole for really helping us out here you're the two best patrons out there really do appreciate y'all's support of the show on that note thank y'all for listening and we will see y'all next week hook them hook them